Welcome to the Craft to Career Podcast with Elizabeth Chapel, where every week we dive into how you can turn your craft into a successful career. Get ready to have the career you've always dreamed of. Hello, and welcome to episode 67 of the Craft to Career Podcast. I am Elizabeth Chapel of Quilters Candy, the host of the podcast. And this week I have, I feel like a near and dear friend. It's Emily Dennis. She is someone who I absolutely love in the quilting world and such an inspiration for me. I cannot wait to introduce you to Emily and to have her share her story of how she has started her career, which started off definitely not in quilting and how that's morphed. And she shares some fun gems at the end that I really enjoyed hearing a little bit about her strategy of what she shares on Instagram stories. So there's a lot of fun that we unpacked here. So I cannot wait to introduce you. Let me jump in and let's meet Emily. So excited to have Emily Dennis here. Emily, for our listeners, can you introduce yourself? Tell us what you do. Uh, hi. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Emily Dennis, as you already said, and uh, the owner and operator over here at Quilty Love, which is a um, quilt pattern design company. Yeah, cool. And I mean, for listeners who don't know, she, I, I don't even know how I know all that you do. I guess you just share little tidbits on Instagram, but you were a photographer first and and that's I kind of want to just dive into today, like how you started this creative endeavor. What what is your background? Uh, yeah. So let's start there. How did you start this creative entrepreneur experience? Uh, well, it started a while back. Um, actually, it started out of boredom. So, so I was raising some toddlers and uh, about to send that youngest toddler off to um, school and found myself with a lot of extra time on my hands. And I was, I was bored. So I decided to pick up photography at that time. I was working. I've always been a work at home mom. Um, so I was doing my day job at the time, but I was, I wanted to pick up something that would stimulate me and I could, I could learn something. Um, so I started photography around that time. I sent, I think it was just before I sent him off to kindergarten, but that probably kind of snowballed into everything that I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. So, okay. What kind of camera did you start off with and how did you learn these photography? Was it self-taught? Did you take lessons? It was self-taught. So I remember vividly when I ordered my first camera, it was, um, it was a Nikon. I mean, probably kind of like an entry level DSLR, a little, a little nicer than that. Cause I, I didn't buy the camera with like, I'm going to do something with this. It was more like, I want to learn something. And, um, have a hobby. And so it started out as a hobby and I was self-taught. I, I used to tell people, um, well, I learned my education from Google, but I literally, literally read everything on Google. There was about photography. Mm -hmm, <laughs> and I learned mm -hmm. it from top to bottom. I love, um, I loved that process of, uh, learning how to do something. And I think that's really, um, wh where I started and how I got to where I am. Cause I love learning. Okay. So, I mean, I bought a nice DSLR camera years ago and it was so hard for me to learn all the things. Like it felt like math and my brain was like, no, don't do this. Don't, you know? So I'm impressed. I bought this book and it was like the nerdiest book because it was, a, it was called Understanding Exposure. And it literally took you through that exposure triangle where you had to figure out how the three things work together, the ISO the aperture and the shutter speed. And I, I, 
probably handle that book like a college course. I took notes. I <laughs> so I really enjoyed like that process of like figuring it out and figuring out the math, but it's commitment, like a lot of commitment to learn. It's no joke. It's something like I wish I could teach people how to do it and maybe I could break it down someday, but like once you learn it, it opens up so many doors, but it's a commitment to learn. If you manual and yeah, if you do teach a course on that, even right now, my brain's like, I don't know, Elizabeth, you've got your iPhone. Like, (laughs) well, that's the problem. So that was before like iPhones were huge or where iPhones were really good. Um, I don't know. Would I even recommend people get a DSLR nowadays? I'm not sure I would because there's so much that you can do on the iPhone now. So. Okay. I mean, at the time for me, I just really enjoyed learning the DSLR and it is still my preference. Like when I take photos, Mm -hmm. but I mean, iPhones can do everything if not more. So, well, and I've hired photographers and some of the photos they take, you cannot get that with an iPhone. There are some lenses and some things where I'm like, "Mm, that's above my skill set and above what my phone has a skill set for, but for, you know, Instagram or whatever, I don't know. I feel like a phone could do the job. So do you, when you post photos on Instagram, are they mostly DSLR or iPhone? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would probably say it's like 98% DSLR. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Right. I, you know, I honestly should, I always think I should use my iPhone more, but I do prefer the DSLR and it could be because that's what I started on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just what I'm used to. It's, it is my preference, but I, I have taught a little bit of photography. It's in my Pinterest course. And I do specifically use the iPhone for a lot of it because I know that's what people have access to. So, I mean, it does the job for sure. Yeah. And did you, so this started off as a hobby, the photography, did it then turn into a career and were you focused on like senior photos or family, baby, you know, that kind of a thing? It did. So it started as a hobby. I don't, I'm trying to, I mean, my memory is bad here, but I don't (laughs) think I bought that camera thinking I'm going to be a photographer and have a career in it. Um, It did kind of happen by accident. I started taking pictures just because I enjoyed it. People, you know, you start taking pictures, you start posting them and then people start asking you to take their pictures. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did kind of stumble upon it that way. Um, I took some prom photos actually. So my husband's a teacher and uh, some of his kids came by and I did their prom photos. And when I posted those, a um, local wedding photographer saw them and she's like, you need to be helping me. So that's kind of how I stumbled into wedding photography and turning it into a career. So I, I mainly did uh, weddings and then I did um, high school seniors. So those okay. were the two areas that I really loved. Does wedding, did that freak you out? Um. Yes and no. <laughs> uh, I started out by helping. So I, I recommend you start out by helping as a second second shooter. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember my terms. I've been out of it for a while now. Um, so that takes a lot of the pressure off, obviously, if you're not the main photographer. But yeah, when you're <laughs> there, they are very stressful. So I did weddings for, I mean, maybe seven years. And I had heard it before I got to that seven year mark that a lot of photographers don't make it past seven years Hmm. just because of, you know, the burnout and the stress and, um, it's a high pressure job for sure. So yeah, I did it for about seven years and then transitioned out of it. So how that's, I'm very intrigued how this transition to quilting happened. So tell me all the things. Yeah. So 
I was doing the photography thing and then I picked up the quilting thing. And so since I had already turned one hobby into a career, I picked up a new hobby, which is quilting. And I actually didn't make my first quilt and like fall in love with it and become obsessed. It took a while, but, um, I was, I wanted to keep it a hobby. So Mm -hmm. I, I was, I resisted turning quilting into a career actually for a long time because I had already done that once and it kind of can suck the joy out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was determined to keep quilting a hobby and I was successful in that for about a year. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got sucked into um, turning it into a career and it started because, you know, I was asked to create the pattern for the quilts I was making. Um, okay. So I was, re- I was resistant and I did start it out kind of slow, mm-hmm. but what I found was that I enjoyed, again, I enjoyed that challenge of figuring it out. And I really fell into, in love with quilting when I started creating the patterns, because for me, it was the two things, the creating and the challenge of creating that kind of took off. Yeah. So when you started quilting, well, I'm intrigued because you said at first it wasn't a major like love. You said, yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, the first one I made was out of obligation. So I agreed to do like a memory quilt for someone. Um, and I just, I mean, if you've ever made a t-shirt quilt, <laughs> they, they're kind of a lot of work. They're mm-hmm. not, it's fun for me. Um, so that was my first quilt. And then um, I was on Pinterest trying to figure out how to make the t-shirt quilt. And all of a sudden I started seeing all of these like bright, colorful, fun quilts. Um, and so I decided to make, okay, I, I made this memory quilt and now I'll make one for each of my kids. And so I picked out a quilt to make for each of my kids. I got through them. I mean, they were okay. I, I, it was okay. I enjoyed it a little bit. Um, but it wasn't until I started like just kind of playing around and designing and coming up with my own things that I really got into it. So that's really how, um, I went from like not really liking that first quilt to like, whoa, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was a process. It was a process of like maybe two years even until I started like becoming what I would say more obsessed with it. Before that, I'd put it away for the summer and, you know, I would not sew for a while and then I might pull it back out in the winter. Um, but now it's. Yeah. Because the time timing of it, I'm trying to think. So I started the boxes in what, 2016? Oh, okay. Was that around the time that you started? Yeah. So my first quilt pattern that I officially like launched was 2015. Okay. Because I want to say, yeah, you were on my radar from the get-go. I actually tested one of your patterns back in the day. I was so honored to be a tester. What, you were? Yeah. I (laughs) want to, is it (laughs) City, City Tiles? Is that the name of? Yes. Yeah. So I think that was... I think that was number three. Yeah, yeah. My third one. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm a big deal. Like I got to be a tester for Emily Dennis, you know? <laughs> oh gosh. And at that time I, I was just like, maybe flattered if anybody even knew what was going on in my world. <laughs> well, I didn't even know what testers were. I started seeing a few people like I tested this pattern for so-and-so. I was like, what is this test? I want that. Like, I want to do that. And so, and now it seems with a couple of years, it's just evolved and become this whole thing and but I'm curious with um pattern writing so uh, we had Megan of then Kim June on the podcast a while back and she said that 
you taught her how to use Adobe. So how did you know how to use Adobe Illustrator? And is that what you've always used to write your patterns? Oh, yes. Um, so actually, I learned how to use Adobe in my photography days. So I was very lucky in that time where I was doing my education from Google. I also got an education in Adobe um, at the same time. And so that's what I do write my patterns with. And I remember FaceTiming Megan and she's, and she was, I don't even know what she was trying to do, but I was like, oh, well, let's share our screens and I'll show you how to do some squares and half square triangles in Adobe. And it was just like a simple little uh, tutorial on how to make a simple shape. And um, yeah, so I've always used Adobe products and I, I, I credit that to, you know, I learned it in my photography days. So it was something yeah. I was able to carry over from that. Did you learn Photoshop first and then the other Adobe things or like, how did that go? I did. So I mainly learned Photoshop uh, as a photographer, but once you learn one Adobe program, I don't know, do you use Adobe products? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So once you learn one Adobe product, you know, all of the um, commands are kind of the same. Mm -hmm. So it's easy. It's easier to learn a new one if you already are familiar with one of them. I actually wrote my first pattern though, believe it or not in, um, Mac pages. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I actually designed shapes in Mac pages too. And, and believe it or not, the commands, yeah, the commands from Mac pages carried over to Adobe actually pretty well. So I, I wasn't using like, um, InDesign, InDesign or Illustrator for photography. I did learn Photoshop, but, um, yeah, it was, it was strange. It was actually kind of funny to think that those, those uh, commands carry over so well. Yeah. Well, and even I use Canva sometimes and the commands work in there too. And I don't know if that's a Mac thing or not, but I'm like, oh, that's very convenient. That worked here. Okay. So you use InDesign now to write your patterns? I do. So I like do all my drawing in Illustrator and I use InDesign to write my patterns. Um, mm -hmm. like actually to, what would you call format them, you know? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people use illustrator only for both mm -hmm. you know, to format and to make their shapes. Um, and I've always used InDesign and honestly, I probably only use like 20% of it. Right. <laughs> like I should same. take a course on how to properly do it because I know there's a lot of shortcuts that I'm missing. Right. Um, but no, I'm the same. The uh, really? Do you I actually Illustrator? Yeah. I and I just started using InDesign a couple years ago. I the whole time I'd been using Adobe for everything. And then when I did start using InDesign, there are some major benefits like the paragraphs and I don't know, just some things. Like I said, I'm only probably using 20% of it, but it does make it easier. So and the margins and all that. So now I feel like I'm getting geeky there's ways you can like format the entire thing at one time. Like if, and mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think I'm linking things properly to do all of that, but um, it is kind of what I started with way back yep. when. And that's how I've continued. But I did just sign up for a course for InDesign. Cause I'm like, I know there's more I can be tapping into. So I will share more if I, if it is of good value. So good idea. Like an online. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's paper something online or in person. Okay online and it's lifetime access. Okay, cool. Um, so anyhow, worth checking out, but yeah. So when I also remember you at one point, because you have an interest to share business too, you have a Pinterest course and we'll dive more into that and some other course business related things that you share, which is near and dear to my heart. I feel like there's 
those who love quilting and, and do it as a business. And then some of us really just love and gravitate towards the business side of things. And, um, so I feel like we, you know, connect on that. That would describe me to a T definitely. I, what is that saying? I've heard like, um, I, cr- I, you create a business just to have a business rather than like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm totally blanking on the same, <laughs> but like, I love the business side of it just as much as I love like the creating side of it. Mm-hmm. So I think in some capacity, I'll always be doing, um, some sort of a business that I can grow and learn and create and same, which I had a friend, we were talking about doing a retreat and she was like, yeah, we could do a quilting retreat. I'm like, mm, I would way rather do a business retreat. And she's like, you know, you can just relax and have fun. I'm like, that is my fun. Like that's, I love the business. <laughs> there was somewhere where you posted about how I, you'll have to help me with the wording or the idea behind it, but that this whole time you felt imposter syndrome, if you will, you know, like, who am I to come in? And you started earning money and like, you know, on the same level of what your husband's doing, who got this degree. So can you speak to us about that a little bit? Yes. So I have really struggled with some money mindset issues over the years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very much has been a struggle to me of like, you know, you hear that phrase of like, fear of success. And you're like, yeah, whatever. That's like, who really fears success? And um, I, I had that. It was Mm -hmm. a real thing of like, I think I started to see the potential of like what I could do. And I was like, I wasn't ready for it. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to um, handle it. I had a lot of money mindset issues. Um, I didn't think I was, you know, I didn't think I deserved to uh, make an income that I was making or could potentially make. Um, And I think a lot of that stems back from, well, for one, I don't have a college education. I didn't do college. And so I think in my mind, it was always like, well, since I didn't go to college, I'm not allowed to make more than X dollars of money a year. And I would just equate like that kind of stuff to money. And um, it took me a long time to really work through those issues and um, get past them. I'm Mm -hmm. happy to say that today I have. Yay, Um, good. It's not such a big issue for me anymore, but it did take a long a long time to accept the fact that it was okay to make money. It was okay to make money as a woman. It was okay to make mm-hmm. money as a mom. Um, and it was okay to make money doing something that you actually had a lot of fun doing. Cause I think there's a lot of people who struggle with that. If this is so much fun and it doesn't feel like work, um, do I really deserve it? Right. So yeah, there's Which, and- a lot of different ways I've had to work through that. I mean, it's not something I'd go and tell my kids. However, I don't feel like you need this college degree. I've just seen it. I, I You don't because I've seen it enough times, you know, and I have a degree. I do nothing related to that, you know, and yeah. And I think that's more and more common. And mm-hmm. had I went to school to get a degree, I wanted to be a teacher back in the day. I don't think yep. I would have lasted in the classroom. No, um, I didn't. That was my degree. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. And even my husband's like, I taught English and I taught like in downtown Houston. I thought I'd be like the stand and deliver, you know, change the world. And it really just burned me out. And even my husband's like, I don't know. One. (laughs) Okay. Well, you tried. I know. Well, to be honest, uh, to be honest, I had kids and I, maybe a little sooner than expected. And I was like, I'm going to stay home and I'll go back. I started tutoring 
this is not about me, whatever. That was my journey. So the point is I, I'm not using no, my degree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people don't. And, uh, you know, my advice too, for like my kids, if they don't know what to do, I'm like, well, go for at least a business degree, right? You know, get some marketing experience or business, you know, experience. And then there's so much you can do with that. And maybe you'll mm-hmm. figure out eventually something else that you want to do. But yeah, I mean, most, I think a lot of people are not working in the field that they went into anyways. So. Yeah. Okay. And your daughter a while ago is probably years ago now. She had started a business of selling like candles or soap or something. Do you, is this true? Uh, no, that was probably, yeah, a sister of mine. Okay. She was okay. doing like, uh, um, like natural products for like kids and babies and stuff. Is she still um, my, doing that? You know, my, she actually just recently she stopped. Okay. So she was doing that for many years, but yeah, she's, she gave that up just to actually within the past year, I think. So I'm not sure okay. why, cause she's, I think it maybe became all consuming trying to mm-hmm. keep up with demand and stuff. Um, yeah. Because she was doing a physical product too. True. So how did you help, what helped you overcome this mindset of like, I, I'm not worthy. Who am I to be earning this? You know? Um, well, I would say it was just many years of getting through it. Um, there were, I would listen to different podcasts and stuff at the time and try to get through it. But I also had a couple of friends, um, who really helped me with that. Uh, one of them in particular, we talked directly about these issues of like women in particular undervaluing themselves and women in the quilting industry undervaluing Mm -hmm. themselves. Um, and she really like helped me with, with that, you know? So, and then I had another friend, um, I went on a road trip with her and this was probably some sort of a spiritual awakening on this road trip. And mm-hmm. she really just got me thinking of like, I almost had to admit to myself what I was afraid of and just kind of digging down and thinking about what it was that was preventing me from thinking I was worth earning an income. And, um, after that road trip, it just got me, it, it almost like before that road trip, I thought I was only allowed to make a certain amount. Like there was always a cap, you know, in my mind, I had this imaginary cap. And then after that road trip, it's just, we talk so much about like these, like, why are we putting limits on ourselves? Um, and I came out of that road trip, just like, wow. Yeah. There's like, why do I keep saying I'm only allowed to earn X amount? Or why do I put that on myself? And something about that road trip just really got me thinking that it's okay. And I can take the cap off. I can like, I don't have to have a ceiling of earning, um, mm-hmm. and just keep doing what I love and see what happens. Do you ever, I, because before I'm like, what if I earned this amount per year? And it scares me to say that. Have you ever had that experience? I did. Yeah. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I was so undervaluing, undervaluing myself. It's not even funny. Um, you know, I worked a part, I've always worked. I had a day job. I did medical billing um, and I worked part-time and I got a part-time salary from it. And at that time, I mean, I was an uneducated stay-at-home mom. So like, I thought that part-time income was like, that was it, you know, that was Mm -hmm. good. Um, And then as I started creating my own businesses and earning my own income, I was like, oh, I wasn't making very much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I remember um, it was a couple of years ago now, but there was a month where I made more that month that I made for my entire salary in a year. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy. I mean, and again, it was a part-time job where like, I wasn't making a ton, but I thought I was. Right. 
just all these like moments of like, wow. And going through those stages where, yeah, I mean, it was, it's been, it's been a journey. That's for sure. Yeah. And I'm curious for you, what are the different sources of revenue and what is your biggest, like, are your quilt patterns the biggest piece of the pie for you? For me, it is. Um, it's quilt patterns. That's, that is my bread and butter. Mm -hmm. Um, I, many years ago, I thought you had to do all these things, you know, trying to make income through all these different like sources. And then a few years ago, I realized that my quilt patterns alone to support me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started really focusing on that. So mostly my income comes from my quilt patterns. Um, I, and that's in the form of like my retail shop online and then distributor orders and like wholesale orders. Mm -hmm. um, and then I do the create your day job. So that's the business side of my business. Uh -huh. I, you know, I just, we have a toddler now, so I have three teenagers and we have a toddler. Um, <laughs> and I really did start create your day job, um, before she was born or around the time, probably before she was born. And so time has been a little more limited these days. So that is mm -hmm. something that's kind of been put more on the back burner is that education side of it. Like you like to do. Yeah. But I do still have some courses through that and I earn income through that. And then I get a teeny tiny bit of um, income, like affiliate income through my blog and stuff like that. Um, but that's never been a huge focus of mine. That's just not how I use my blog. So. Mm -hmm. And you do these Robert Kaufman bundles. Is that, does that bring like revenue for you or what? How does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I did my first one. It's been about a year or so. And um, they, you actually get royalties from that. So just like maybe a pattern designer mm -hmm. gets royalties through their manufacturer, I'll get royalties on uh, units sold. So it's not oh, like okay. a huge thing. And it's because I'm sure it's significantly less than like a designer themselves would get because I'm not mm -hmm. actually designing the fabric. I'm just curating mm -hmm. already designed or already made fabric. Um, but that's actually been a fun little uh, thing that I've been doing because I, I never say never, but I don't see myself designing fabric. So it's like mm -hmm. a good alternative to designing fabric Yeah, so to, you know, play around with this um, bundle that I curated and create patterns or make quilts around it in much the same way maybe a designer would. Yeah. And you've done a very good job of creating a brand. Was that intentional? Are you just very honed in on the colors that you like? You know, I think that was probably more intentional than I realized. Okay. <laughs> as far as like the brand in general or just like my design style? I don't know. Which Both. Yeah. But I was thinking more of the colors, but yeah, style of quilt patterns too. Yeah. I mean, I think colors, you know, we all naturally start to gravitate towards a certain thing. I actually, it's funny because I don't think we see ourselves as cohesive as other mm -hmm. people see us. Mm -hmm. Like I would look at your work and I see very cohesive, you know, tones and everything. And sometimes I feel like I look at my, like my own and it feels all over the place. <laughs> so. No, yours is very on brand. It is. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> well, you know, the good news is that I don't necessarily intentionally do that. So maybe, um, you know, when you just gravitate towards the things you like, it comes out more cohesive than we think. Yeah. And as far as your quilt patterns, I mean, have you, do you have, how, I don't know, how have you designed those? What does that process look like for you? Is it intentional about like, well, I want to keep within this kind of a look? Um, you know, I, 
at first it probably just started out with what I enjoyed doing or what I wanted to do at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think just like probably your colors, you know, how they start to get more cohesive, your designs start to get more cohesive. Mm-hmm. I was accused once actually. <laughs> I think I designed a pattern. Gosh, I wish I could remember. It was probably a star pattern, which stars are very common, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I got, I, I got this email and this somebody, it wasn't mean, but it was like, your patterns all look the same. You should design something else. Oh, <laughs> I was like, uh, oh, I mean, at first I was like, well, what, whatever, and I kind of started look, thinking about it. And it kind of made me laugh. And I was like, well, that may be true, but I think over time you do develop a style mm-hmm. and over time. I mean, I, I think I have 40 something, pa- uh, yeah, 40 something patterns out. You also learn what people like. Yep, so you're not totally. going to put out a pattern that people don't like. Yep. And so you do gravitate towards what you know works. And mm-hmm. so I thought, you know, when I got that email, I, I, I did respond and I responded in a little bit of a snarky way. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot picture you being snarky at all. You know, and it was more like passive aggressively nice. Because um, <laughs> it was just like, it was so funny to me. I was like, well, if you don't like my patterns there's a lot of them out there and I said something to that effect of like well, the mm-hmm. good news is there's tons of quilt patterns out there to choose from yep um but you do you know you I have found over the years it's like I'm not going to put out something that I know won't sell well and so I do kind of focus on like what I know has done well in the past and what I think will do well mm-hmm. um, going forward it's very interesting on that topic I have seen people really attack success from others you know they will look and I've heard things like about my better together it's too simple it's half square triangles honestly if you know how to make a quilt you could look at that and just whatever you know figure it out it's my best seller it's my best seller you know and then I have another alumni who has a look and I heard someone say like I wish she'd really branch out and do something different and I'm like now why are people so why do they care for one Two, they're attacking the thing that's making them successful. You know, it's almost like it comes from this place of insecurity of like, maybe they don't deserve the success because it's not, I I don't know. It's a very, like this person who emailed you, why do they care? You know, you're having success. Yeah. See, and I, my thought was that she didn't know I was having success. I think she genuinely thought she was giving me good advice. Like, I think she's like, if you, because I think that was part of her email was like, you know, you could sell better if you had more variety. And I, which again, it was like kind of funny because it was the total opposite. You actually can sell better when you have mm-hmm. a good point of view. And yep. when you know, like I know what sells and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, for that one in particular, I think it was like, she genuinely thought she was helping me because it was nice. It was a nice email. Okay. It made me laugh. That she thought right? I, should, I should do something different. Right. That was like, funny. And I was like, well, I would if I, if I could, I mean, trust me, I, I mean, I can only come up with what my brain will come up with. So right. Yeah. That's, the gears that's what you're going to get. Yep. If you like it, great. Mm-hmm. So if you, and I know you've also said before, I've seen you post like, I don't know why everyone follows me or why I have success, but, but if you had to think of like why people love you, I, for one, I have to say this. This is so funny. I've seen it over and over again. Everyone talks about how you are so sweet and they wish they were best friends with you. And you are like, so you're very likable. So there's that. And this is coming from a, I'm analyzing it from a business standpoint. 
be likable. <laughs> but what else helps you have success? <laughs> Your listeners can't see me, but you can see me shaking my head. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I was sitting down with my... I was sitting with my sister-in-law one time and she's like, I don't like mean this to be rude. She's like, but who are all those people following you? <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, I have no idea. I was like, I don't know. I mean, I, okay. I can, I can analyze it a little bit and think back of like why people are there. Mm-hmm. And I've always just tried to like show up. I've always just tried to show up and show up as myself. And I've never tried to like be somebody I'm not. Mm-hmm. And there's been times, to be honest, I've had to take a break from Instagram because I'm like, I feel like I'm turning into a superficial person or like, yeah. or like it just doesn't feel genuine right now. And so I just need to take a break so that I can come back and just be normal again. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but so th- I think there's that I showed up. So I always showed up. I remember um, the first time I did my first story and I had to record that thing like 10 times because my <laughs> voice was shaking to do a story. <laughs> Right. So you just, you know, you just show up and you do it. Yeah. Um, And then I think consistency too. Like I showed up and I continue to show up. So consistency Mm -hmm. will go a long way. I think when it comes to Instagram, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why people are, are there and still showing up, but they are. Well, and it sounds like you do have a mind for business, you know, that you do analyze what is selling well, what's resonating with people. And I think to just you have a good eye. So I mean, things that you post that resonate with me, your home, redoing your home, living in Michigan was intriguing. You lived on the peninsula. Is that right? The upper peninsula? Yes. Yeah, that was intriguing. Yeah. So I think there were probably, there were some things I knew my readers or not readers, my audience liked, um, you know, the weird thing is every time I posted house photos or like our remodeling stuff, those got more engagement than anything I've ever posted before. Hmm. <laughs> so people like the house stuff. Yeah, I um, do. And they did. I lived in a very unique. <laughs> yeah. Um, I lived in a very unique um, area where we got all that snow. And I think, you know, people couldn't, they couldn't fathom it. So they were, they were interested to see it. I live in yeah. boring Southern Minnesota now. So I don't hey, know how people, <laughs> people engaged there. I'm from Minnesota. It's a great place. But yes, that's right. Yeah. And your husband. I, I, we do love living here, but I do miss the beauty. Yeah. Well, and I remember meeting someone who did a lot of camping and I was like, yeah, I, I know someone by no, I mean, we're Instagram friends, right? I was like, I know someone who lives in the Upper Peninsula. They were like, no, you probably don't. Are you sure? Like not a lot of people live there. I was like, yeah. Yeah, I think that's where she lives. Like, <laughs> but it yeah, is. There were a few of us that lived there. <laughs> yeah, and I remember like your daughter having to go to an orthodontist appointment, and it took I don't remember how long, but I was like, oh my gosh, that's a very different way of life, you know? Yeah, it was the two-hour drive to go to the mm-hmm. orthodontics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's commitment. That's love. <laughs> so yeah, there were a few things. Like I think you know, I shared where I lived, and I shared we moved a lot. I never shared all the stories about why we moved, but I think, I think people were so intrigued by that. They're like, why are these people moving again? <laughs> um, and so there were just, I think things that like, I knew my audience liked. And the good thing was like, I, I enjoyed sharing those things. I always found it fun. Um, I always found it motivating to share our home improvement projects and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's things that you share that, you know, your audience likes. I tried, I've always tried to like, not be boring on stories like and I've always I know this easier said than done and I've always tried to leave a little bit of mystery 
on hmm. stories. Like I'm not going to share my life story. I'm, you don't see everything, but enough where people want to keep following to see what's next. <laughs> that is very interesting and true. And is this intentional? You don't share much about your older kids where I do have the intrigue. I'm like, how are they? What are they doing? But I, I mean, maybe for their sake or yours or. Yeah, it's for them. It's been a privacy issue. So I did. I did share them a lot, actually, especially in my early photography days. They were my main subjects. Um, I don't share them now. And, you know, my older kids and my husband, they're actually really funny. And so, like, when we get sometimes, like, our family vacations even and stuff, the things that we do, like, I'm like, oh, I, I kind of wish I shared that part of our life because it is a glimpse that nobody gets to see. Mm -hmm. um, but I do it for their privacy. I mean, I don't know. You don't have teenagers quite yet do you I do I have a freshman um she'll she's almost 15 oh you know okay mm -hmm. okay you have to get approval from teenagers mm -hmm. to post anything on social media <laughs> so I kind of yeah. got sick of asking for permission so I just don't post them well and mine would never give me permission they're like no there don't a, post that yeah so I don't I actually think mine are kind of funny where they wouldn't mind being on social media but it has to all be approved so I'm like I'm not I don't work that way I kind of post when I want to post and when I don't, I don't, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so there's a big part of my life. I think that people don't really get to see. And, um, I don't know. I, 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 there's, there's a few things I think over the years I've kind of figured out what people like and want to explore on. So. Yeah. And there is some to that just privacy of keeping some things not public, you know, that's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I've even over the last few years, I've probably stepped back I don't know, more than, more than I'd like to, like, I know I used to share a lot more even than I do now. Um, and sometimes I think it'd be fun to go back, but I also kind of enjoy my privacy a little bit more right now too. Yeah. So I always, I'm always a big believer in doing what feels right at the moment. Mm -hmm. I've never tried to force anything, nothing. I've never tried to force anything when it comes to my business decisions. And I've never tried to force anything like through Instagram and like growing an audience and all of that stuff. It's like, I've really believed in like, just kind of doing what feels right, feels good. And um, letting it kind of naturally organically take shape. Yeah, well, it's worked out very well for you, which I cannot help but wondering, you said you're youngest let's see she starts school soon like full-time school is that right um not yet she'll be she's three she's only three and a half okay. so she'll be in preschool in a couple of years here or she'll okay. be in preschool this year in kindergarten a couple of years so when she is in school it sounds like you'll have more time do you think you'll do more business related things or I don't know what do you think that will look like I don't know you know <laughs> I go back and forth I'm you know, a lot of people have this like growth, growth, growth mindset. And I've actually kind of admitted to myself that I'm not in a growth stage right now. I'm actually, mm -hmm. I'm in a maintenance stage right yeah. now. And I like it. Like I'm content where things are. I'm happy with how my business is going. It still continues to grow year after year, but mm -hmm. like, I'm not pushing it to like grow. Right. And so I'm kind of in a maintenance stage. And mostly I think that is because I have the toddler. She, we do utilize daycare. Trust me, I couldn't do this as much as I do, even if I, if I had her home full-time. So she's not home full-time. Um, and I do think about what this will look like in a couple of years. And I think that's why I'm content in a maintenance stage right now is that I know in a couple of years, I have that time mm -hmm. coming 
Cause that's when I started my business. I started my business when all of my kids were in school and I had eight hour, what, seven hours a day, um, to run a business. And, um, then the toddler came around a couple of years ago when I had already established everything. So it worked out fine. Yeah. Um, but I know in a couple of years, I'll have those full days back. So who knows? yeah, maybe, yeah, I'm excited. Maybe I'll see. be inspired. Maybe I won't. Right. Well, <laughs> and I go happens. through those ebbs and flows where sometimes I'll see someone else put out a major goal and I'm like, oh yeah, I should reach for that too. And then I have to step back. I'm like, do I want that? Like, how much growth do I want? You know, like, I don't know. And how much, how, what, I don't know, all the things. Yeah. The other, was it like a month ago or something? I, I was driving home from somewhere and I was like, I should get a space. I should rent a space and move out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I texted, I texted Megan of then came June and June. She's like, I thought you wanted to stay home. And I was like, yeah, well, I do. I love being at home, but I should get a space. And I was like, why do I want a space all of a sudden? I, I would hate to go to work every day. Um, right. And I think there are a few reasons that maybe that would happen and could happen. But I'm like, yeah, you don't have to do things the, right. the way everybody else does them. And so, I mean, and there were a couple of real reasons I've thought about like having a space. It would be nice. I feel like then I could hire somebody to come do all the stuff I don't want to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I could hire somebody and come to my house and do it, but if you had the space, I feel like it'd be easier. So, oh, yeah. plus I'm taking over my house with my business. So there is right. That. I know. <laughs> yeah. When we moved to our house and I have my like craft sewing room, I was like, just so you know, this space, it's got to be okay to be messy. Like I, I will, you know, not, I will, the house will be clean, but I need I need you all to just know that this is going to be a disaster. And sometimes it's really clean and tidy, but like, I can't have that pressure of this needs to be clean and creative space is a mess. But yeah, no, I've gone through in the past where I'll see people do certain things and I'm like, oh, well, they're having success with that. Maybe I should do that. And it's just to really step back and do it like what you said, what feels right for me and good. And that's usually different from what someone else is doing. Yeah. And I, I do think success will come a lot easier if you're actually doing something that you enjoy doing and you feel good about doing and Mm -hmm. you want to do. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think forcing it is ever going to be a recipe for success. No. And it comes from this scarcity mentality and you're scrambling and it feels, I don't know. I know it takes one to know one. I've been there. So for someone who is thinking of starting a creative career, what is some, a tip or advice that you would give? Oh gosh, I wish I had some really good words of wisdom because I'm probably going to say what everybody else says. <laughs> <laughs> it is to just start. Yeah. It is to just start because the year from now, you will be so thankful that today you decided to start. I've always thought about it that way is like a year from now, I'm going to be glad I did this or a year from now, things are going to like be good. Or like a year from now, like the growth that you'll have a year from now is going to be good. Cause it's very scary to start something. I mean, like, and, and my other piece of advice would be to start your email list and like start that right away. So as the example, for an example with that email list, like nobody wants to start it because, because they're going to be like 10 people signed up. Well, that's right now, but think about a year from now. Like you're never going to get to hundreds of people if you don't start today. Absolutely. So, yeah, I know it's probably been said a million times. No, I don't even know. Really everyone says have to start. Yeah, everyone says something different. Oh, and okay, <laughs> yeah, to hear that motivation 
to to be okay with not having things be perfect at first. To have a small list, embrace that, and yeah. and to be and, slow. Yeah, yeah be it's, slow. I you know I don't know. Maybe I don't know how people do look at me, but I feel like it's been a slow and steady process. I mean, it, it's taken many years. I feel like where there's become a lot of consistency in my business and financial consistency. And so it is a slow and steady process. So if you don't start now, you're not going to get to that end result of, yep. you know, consistency. Which people I feel like, myself included, we look at where someone is right now and assume it's always been that way. And like, well, I want to be where they are right now, but it takes time. But yeah, so uh, what, I'm curious, what can we look forward to you releasing next? What's on the dockets for Quilty Love? Um, so I have a few things coming up for the rest of the year. I try to keep my year, my uh, obligations pretty simple over here. Um, so I'm working on Pinnant for Sales right now. I'm updating it and getting it ready for its uh open period. So I open that up once or twice a year, and that will be coming up um, probably later this summer. Um, so Pin Up for Sales is a Pinterest course that you can use to grow your business through um, sales and just um, getting more brand recognition over on Pinterest. So that's coming up soon. And then um, I'm hoping I've kind of, I did this last year and it was a really good email building um, opportunity. I did a, that free pattern. So I did a free scrap stash plus quilt pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I'll make that an annual thing. I like when things work, I like making it like an annual tradition. I like <laughs> so that. I think this summer I'll be coming up with something, something else like that. And, um, just a simple free pattern that has been a really good list builder. So I'm hoping to nice. get something out, like that out very soon too. Awesome. And I have to give a plug about your Pinterest course the success that you've had with Pinterest has been phenomenal. And for those who are quilters, you, I mean, you touch on the photography and the SEO and just, you actually can, you walk the walk. I mean, some people I feel like teach a course because they know other people have had success with this thing, but you actually have grown a ton with Pinterest and sales. So you know what you're talking about and it's a great course. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Pinterest has always been something I've used as a quilter. So I, it was pretty organic for me to new, you know, to use what I used as a quilter, not a quilt pattern designer, and then just mm-hmm. kind of transition it into trying things for my business and putting it into a course that people could replicate. Yeah. That's awesome. And very generous of you. So thank you so much for being here. It's a busy summer day for you and I appreciate you taking your time. I know my audience loves you. Like I said, people are like, I just love Emily Dennis. I wish we could be best friends. So this is like their dose of Emily Dennis and getting to hang out with you. So thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you later. thank you so much for being here on the craft to career podcast. You are just such a pleasure, such a joy. One of these days we are going to meet in real life. I feel like we've known each other already for years, but it'll happen. It will happen. And for you listeners, thank you so much for being here. I know that you loved hearing from Emily. She's just great. So thank you so much for being here on the craft to career podcast. We'll see you here next Friday until then have a wonderful week. Mm -hmm.